Hill Church. Good. I am excited about this morning's word uh, to talk about Jesus as the bread of life. And when I get excited, I tend to talk really fast. So if during the course of the message I say something you really like, I want you to say, oh, oh. But if I'm going too fast, I want you to say, whoa, whoa. All right. So, um, but no, no, good stuff. Let's, um, let's go before God and, and uh, ask just for his grace during this time uh, that we're going to spend together here. And uh, uh, because we need him, we need him. Holy God and Father, um, I've seen it in the pages of scripture that you have spoken through burning bushes. You've used donkeys, uh, which let me know that there is nothing outside of your reach that you can't uh, recruit and use at your disposal. Um, I'm begging and asking, oh God, that you would use me this morning to effectively and accurately speak your words uh, to your people, Lord God, that uh, your son uh, might be made larger in our eyes, our understanding of the gospel would be made deeper, and our capacity for worship might be uh, more truthful, as you call us to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. I also ask, O oh God, that our capacity to serve, Lord God, would be made all the more uh, authentic, all the more rich, and that you would improve our understanding of what's happening in our world. Lord God, you would enhance our worldview so that those around us who do not know you, we would have a fresh boldness and also fresh insights from which to share with them uh, the beauty of relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. This is our earnest uh, ask uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I said Ernest Rashad, did you peep up? Did you think I was calling you to the stage? Amen. Not so much. All right. I love that. All right. Well, as you know, we are looking at um, John chapter 6, where Jesus refers to himself undoubtedly as the bread of life. John chapter 6 is quite lengthy, um, and there are some interesting things happening uh, in this particular passage. And uh, so there's a few moments that I want you to remember because they're going to be key in you fully appreciating this message, Jesus as the bread of life. Number one, I want you to think about the miracle of Jesus having fed the 5,000. I want you to think about manna uh, from the Old Testament. And then I want you to think about Jesus when he says to those around him that his flesh is true meat or true food and his blood is true drinks. So I want you to think about, again, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I want you to think about the manna that came down in the Old Testament, and I want you to think about Jesus in this very moment saying that his flesh is true food or true meat, that Jesus is indeed the main course of what God has been talking about throughout history. Hang on to those three ideas. They will become extremely handy to you in your note-taking as we work through today's text. Um, as we um, work through this passage, I want to bring your attention to this idea where Jesus says that he is the bread of life. He doesn't just say that out of thin air. Man, I love Jesus, uh, which is kind of like one of the prerequisites for this job. Um, but, um, uh, but, but what I love about Jesus is just, in a very nuanced way, I love his style of communication. I love how Jesus has no problem triggering people, right, saying things to them like, Hey, you know, if your left hand offends you, you better cut it off. Or if your left eye offends you, you pluck it out so that you could enter into the kingdom, you know, not, you might, you don't want to go to hell whole and, and enter into the kingdom, uh, 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 you know, with, with missing an eye. That'd be okay, right? He, he says stuff like that. And people are like, what? And Jesus will, will, will say things like, uh, man, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last. If you want to be the leader of all the other disciples, you need to become the servant of all the disciples. 
right? He, 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 uh, he sees people uh, making offerings in a public space, and there'll be all these people just dumping in loads of coins and cash, you know, giving it. They're balling out of control, and then somebody will walk up and put in the equivalent of two pennies, and he'll say, that person right there gave the most. Jesus is a master at triggering people emotionally. Why does he do that? Is he just out here, like on Twitter of the ancient Near East, trying to offend folks? No, 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 but I believe that when Jesus triggers us, it is a trigger to get us to pay attention to a truth that is on deck. He never leaves us just emotionally and intellectually triggered like he does here in, in this particular pass, group of passages we'll look at where he says, I am the bread of life, and unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. I'm like, what are you talking about? How could you say that to those people? Don't you know how offensive that is to a, to a Jewish community? Who, who God has trained them throughout their history to have no dealings with blood? How could you say these things, Jesus? Why are you trying to trigger these people? And I believe that Jesus triggers with a view toward truth, not just tripping us up and getting our thoughts all out of whack. And so we're going to look at some trigger moments uh, as Jesus delivers and draws people to truth here when we talk about the bread of life. Now, what I find also interesting is how Jesus always builds in his own illustrations right from the context of the people that he's sharing the gospel with. And so when Jesus says to this audience, I am the bread of life, it's not arbitrary. It's not like he's just like in the refrigerator making a barley sandwich in front of his mom, right? And she's like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm the bread of life. No, 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 no. He had just finished feeding 5,000 people. And what's interesting about this feeding that took place in the people had been following Jesus because of some of the other miracles. They had seen him heal. They had seen him preach great messages. They had seen him restore a blindness. They had seen him cause those with leprosy recover. They had seen him heal people with palsy. And they were following Jesus. And they find themselves in this large gathering right there on the, on the cusp of the Passover. And Jesus looks out and has compassion on the people and says, man, we got to feed them. These people are weary and they've been tired. We got to feed them. And then he does something that I believe is just an incredible demonstration of his power, but unique for many of the other miracles. Consider, if you will, all those times where Jesus would heal people, right? I mean, uh, the, the uh, folks would come, take the thatch roof off of a house, lower down a guy who, you know, was, 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 his legs didn't work, all right? He was paralyzed. And then Jesus would heal him. But the, 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 the Bible tells us that the house had a capacity crowd. It was so large that people couldn't fit inside the house anymore. So the people who were most deeply impacted by the miracle were those who were probably in the house. And everybody else in the, in the, on the front lawn and in the driveway and on the street was like, oh, did you hear what he did? Jesus just healed that dude that they let down through the roof. Man, stop lying. But all of the miracles had to be like that, right? Like, like, like if you, you know, you know, yeah, we knew this dude who used to be blind and now he sees, man, that's cool, he can see. But when it comes to the miracle of feeding the 5,000, I want you to see what happens. Every person in the audience got a piece of the action. Every person in the audience. And, and, and so it just resonates with me deeply when the psalmist says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He didn't leave the, the weight of that miracle to just hearsay or happenstance, or it didn't just have to roll its way around town. He allowed every person in the audience to take a taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. But leading up to him doing this miracle, he said some other things that are very crucial to us fully appreciating what it means for Jesus to be the bread of life. He says to his disciple, and the Bible says, and Jesus already knew what he was going to do, right? He says to his disciple, one of his disciples, how much do you think it'll take to feed all these people? 
And the disciples go, man, it'll take us over 200 denarii and over 200 denarii. And even then, everybody would only get a little bit. Everybody would only get a little bit. And then he says, okay, okay, all right. Then Jesus says, uh, well, well, one of the other disciples says, look, all we got here is this, this paper bag with uh, this boy's lunch in it. He's got five loaves and two fishes. And in both of those moments, the Bible wants us to see quantitatively that the cost to cover all the needs of the people is more that exceeds what they have and that the resources that they have are not nearly enough. I want you to hear this. There is a clear gospel illusion in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The cost to cover what you need exceeds what you have and the resources you couldn't bring them to the table yourself. You don't bring enough. This is one of the great gospel illusions in the miracle feeding of the 5,000. Jesus go ahead and he does that, but then he doubled down. He does something else. The Bible wants to make sure that when Jesus went around, told his disciples to pick up all of the remaining pizza crust, that they had 12 full baskets after everyone was completely full. So in other words, if you're like me at a party, you go around and the pepperoni is gone, the veggie is gone, the meat lovers is gone, and I go back and hit the crust. I'm like, I'll take that crust. And Jesus said, even after the people like Rod went through and had their fill of the slices and the crust and the breadsticks, we still had 12 baskets of crust. And so what the Lord, what the Lord is saying here is, is, is listen, not only does, the, does, does your need exceed anything that you bring to the table and your need exceed the cost that you could ever pay, but I'm willing to pay that. But he's got this other message that he's trying to send that really makes up the heart and soul of why Jesus would then say to us later in the passage, I am the bread of life. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. That's where we're going to spend our time. You see, because, the, because after Jesus fed the 5,000, it says that the people were so impressed by the miracle that they were going to forcibly take him and make him king. And Jesus slipped out of the way, eluded the crowd, and wouldn't allow them to do it, and got into a boat, a separate boat from his uh, disciples. And by the time we pick up with the passage where Jesus tells folks that he is the bread of life, guess what happens? The Bible says that it was the next day and a group of people who were a part of the feeding of the 5,000 found Jesus and was like, hey, man, what's up? We didn't even know you was going to be here. And Jesus turns to them and says, y'all ain't following me because you saw the signs. You follow me because you ate bread and you were full. And what Jesus is going to show us and say to us in, 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 in all of this is this, listen, even the best bread in this life is only an appetizer to the bread of life, even the best bread in this life. I mean, you got to believe that if Jesus is going to expend divine power to feed an audience full of people, he wasn't buying great value ingredients. You got to believe, great value, that's, that's Walmart's knockoff. Okay, I didn't know that. that didn't get the kind of chuckles that it required. Right? Right? So, so, so you got to know that, it, but, it, but it was the best bread that earth had to offer. And Jesus says, that ain't enough. 
You see, the best bread, even the best bread in this life can only be an appetizer for the bread of life. When Jesus says that I am the bread of life, he is baiting or pulling us in to appreciate this, that every single hunger that we have is an echo of our great. Every single human hunger is an echo of my need for a savior. There is something about bread. And look at this beautiful analogy. God took something like our hunger, something that is insatiable and that never goes away. And even when it does go away, it hasn't gone away. Like even when we're full, we know that the next day or the next hour, the next moment, we'll still need more. He takes something as as, as cyclical as our ongoing appetite and says, you need bread, not of a temporal nature, but you need bread that is from me, that is eternal in nature. So, So every single hunger is simply an echo. It is a reminder of our great need for the bread of life or the reminder of our need for a Savior. We're going to walk through several passages together, and let's begin, do some heavy lifting here. In John chapter 6, verses 22 through 29, this is our very first section. It says, and when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you for all him, God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus wants to make it clear that while you ate the bread that was served during the miracle, you still don't have the true bread that you need. And I believe that it, it, it calls our attention to this. Listen, We are doomed to a life of refills until he fills. We as people are doomed to a life of refills until he fills. What exactly does it mean for him to fill? You won't have this one on the screen. You're just going to have to pick up in your Bibles or your devices. Colossians, I'll say it slow so you can get there. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, we are all looking for a fill. Ladies and gentlemen, I am looking for a fill. Every appetite, every satisfy, the t-shirt that I'm wearing, the shoes that I bought, the dreams that I dreamed, the jobs that I've had, the cars that I've driven, the house that I'm in, the wife that I have um, so beautifully um, uh, gotten uh, of the Lord, All of my appetites are just an echo of my deep need for a Savior. There is something about it, which means that my appetites are not all evil. They are just a statement of the fact that there are these yearnings and these hungers in the human heart. And listen to me. If I, find, if I believe that all of life is found in my wife, I'm going to constantly need refills. If I believe that all of life is found in my career, I'm going to constantly need refills. If I believe that all of life is found in good old religious practice, I'm going to constantly need refills. If I believe that all of of what the the meaning of life is found in rewards that I get when people pat me on the back and say, man, you did a good job, I'll always need a refill. If I'm looking for a, a, a film fulfillment in anything shy of Christ, I will always need a refill until he fills. 
Always need a refill. I like, yeah, who, who ever did that? You can do that. You can do applause here. This is an applause appreciating church. And so we do, we do. Amen. We do, we do. Listen, listen, listen. In, in life, we can look for fulfillment in religious places. Man, I attend church. I've got perfect attendance. We can look for fulfillment in programs. Man, this church has got it going on. They're sending missionaries. They're, they're, they're doing all these different things. This church uh, has an excellent and a robust kids ministry. We can look for filling in so many different places that are not necessarily sinful, but if this is the end of the ride, you'll always need a refill. We look for refill in relationships. We look for refills in recreation. We look for uh, refills in the realization of the purposes of life. We look for refills even in rest and retirement. Lord God, I, I know I have made it once I reach this stage in my life. But I want you to know that whether it be rest and retirement, recreation, relationship, or even religion, it, or, or the realization of purpose, Jesus positions himself as the ultimate satisfaction of all those appetites. He'll say that real religion looks like this, right? Not just to say good words and believe good things, because the devil do that. He says, but to also show kindness and to love on the poor and the widowless, to go out and demonstrate love to one's fellow man, to love one's, to love one's enemies, to love oneself as, or, or to love one's enemies as you love yourself. So he says, it isn't just religion. You're going to need a refill, because if you really follow the breadcrumbs, you'll always end up to the bread of life. The Bible will show us that, man, you, you, you ought to, listen, this wiring that we have to receive a pat on the back, it is innate to us. It's okay to have that. But the ultimate pat on the back is when the Lord looks us in the eyes and says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. God recognizes that people need reward. And so there's nothing wrong with seeking reward, but just recognize that that reward alone in the temporal space will always look you, leave you needing a refill. Man, I don't know what your favorite restaurant is. Whether it's uh, Old Charlie's, you know, with that super buttery bread, or whether it's El Charo, the, the Mexican places that bring out the constant chips or whatnot, or whether it's Fogo de Chao. I mean, we can get you no matter what town, end of town you on, right? But have you noticed how all these restaurants will bring out constant refills on these things that are non-essential? Especially down in Fogo de Chao. They don't want you to tear that meat up, right? <laughs> so they bring out some of the most delicious bread you ever had, bottomless. Life does the same thing. Life will, leave, life will give you bottomless refills on all your deepest desires, and you'll be sitting at the table of life wondering why you still are not totally satisfied even though you're stuffed. I just ruined Mexican restaurant tortilla business. Stock dropping. Can't do that. Pastor Rod says this is not the bread of life. Oh, Charlie's been ready to email me. <laughs> but anyway, but anyway, the bottom line is, is that we are doomed to a life of seeking refills until he fills. And the Lord wants to fill us with a knowledge of him. So, so and listen, the filling is not instantaneous. One aspect is, uh, for those that would bow the knee to Christ, there is an immediate filling of the Holy Spirit. But there is an ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit that comes as we live a life of obedience, as we discover and learn more. There is an infinite amount of knowledge and understanding that Christ can offer, right? He is eternal. He is unending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So, so no one has Jesus mastered as a subject just because you get saved in the moment. It is this ongoing call to be filled that we are called to uh, by the Spirit over in the book of Ephesians. And then the Bible says that we are constantly being filled with the knowledge of him in the book of Colossians. So in every single episode of life, 
God is constantly showing us these appetizers, if you will, and say, you can eat that, but trust me, the main course is coming, and it's me. Showing us more and more and more why he made us and what he made us for. He, we, are made for we are made by him, and we are made for him. Hey, isn't that awesome that God would not only create us, but then come take residency within us? And so, how is it that we, that we are filled? We are filled, but Jesus says this. So Jesus' audience, they were intrigued. They were like, okay, we don't want to just eat bread like that. What must we do? And Jesus said to them, here's what you do to do the works of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's ABC, right? That's ABC Bible stuff, right? Believe in him. But let me help you real quick. Have you ever taken the parachute test when it comes to your gospel belief? You know what the parachute test is? Oh, just by a show of hands, how many people believe that parachutes are actual? They exist. How many people believe that parachutes are useful? Right? They have a fundamental use. How many people believe that in certain situations, parachutes are critical? But how many people know that to be personal? Not just anecdotal. I ain't never put on a parachute. Ha ha, Evan. But do you, do you know what Evan says? That his knowledge of parachute effectiveness, how essential and crucial and critical and useful and how actual they are, not just conceding that they exist, but do you know when he put that on, he was believing in parachutes because he put his full weight on it. He put his full hope in it. He was trusting that it was going to get him to where he needed to go. And he had no recourse but the parachute. It wasn't like he had some rocket boosters, you know, out of his wrist. Like he was like, if the parachute don't work, I'm doomed. And this is the same call. And so God is constantly carving away pockets of self-sufficiency in our life so that we would realize him as the bread of life. And so, ladies and gentlemen, there are seasons in your life where you're saying to yourself, man, I don't understand. I just accomplished what I meant to accomplish. I have what I thought I was going to have, and it still doesn't seem like enough. It's because God wants to show you that's merely the appetizer. Proverbs puts it better than I can. Chapter 3, verses 5 and following. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean. Hear that? That's weight talk. Do not lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We got we to lean fully. We got to put our full weight on him. And it's when we do that that we begin to experience how he feels so that we can leave the endless cycle of seeking temporal refills. Let's look at verses 30 through 40 in our text. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may believe, may, we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I'm the bread of life, and whoever uh, uh, comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst 
But I, but I say to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up in the last day. For this will, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Second big idea is this, not only are we doomed to a life of refills until he fills, but it's also this. We will always ask God to perform a new, put on a new performance until we understand his past performance. What do I mean? Listen carefully to the words of the disciples. What, what work will you show us? They're asking God for a new performance. And Jesus says, you have embedded within your personal and national history a grand display of exactly this mystery that I'm speaking to you, manna. Remember, I told you you had to hold on to the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the manna to appreciate this. Now, I want you to think about the nature of manna. According to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, uh, manna was given by God for this reason. And he humbled you to let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might, here's a goal, make you to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it says later to also test you to see if he would, you would follow his law. And so manna, listen to me, every generation has their variation of manna. There is some subtle, consistent, seemingly small, but regular deposit that God makes into the lives of people to let them know that he is here and that he is loving and that he is merciful and that he is with us. He's constantly, there is a variation of manna in every generation where God is both testing our hearts to see if we'll follow him and teaching us to know that no man can live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. Understand the logistics of manna. When manna was first distributed to Israel, it came out this way. The people had just exited um, um, Egypt, come through the, uh, the Red Sea, and they were on the other side. They hadn't received the Ten Commandments yet, and they said, man, I wish we was back in Egypt because we hungry. We sat next to the pots of meat. We had barbecue every day. And we were slaves, but at least we had pulled pork, or they, maybe they didn't have that. Pulled camel. Pulled camel. <laughs> they was like, man, we had meat. We had bread. At least we had meat and bread. And so Jesus says, you know what? I'm assuming, so, so, so God said through Moses, you know what? I'm going to show them something. I'm going to feed them. For 40 straight years, without fail, six days a week, the Lord rained manna. Now, it, it wasn't as delicious as one might like, but it was a tangible, small, consistent, yet sufficient, sufficient demonstration of God's love, mercy, and blessing. But it's something that was greatly taken for granted. Have you ever traveled? You ever traveled? Um, you, know, you get somewhere, you set yourself up nicely in a little hotel, you get in the shower, uh, you come out, you get your towel around you, open your toiletries bag and recognize you left your toothpaste. It's such a small thing. Anybody? You'd be like, well, I can't call the front desk. Can't use my finger. You know, what am I going to do? Right? Something so small and simple. Maybe that's not grabbing you. You ever been to another country that didn't have indoor plumbing? <laughs> and the people that you were traveling with were like, well, no, we're not going to get to any water like that for another four or five days on our journey. And, um, and when we get there, that water is reserved for drinking. 
And so, oh, so we bathe them with baby wipes? A small, simple, consistent gesture often gets taken for granted until it's removed. And so manna was never really fully appreciated by Israel, always a source of complaint. In our lives, there is a variation of manna. There are small, subtle, simple, tangible demonstrations of God's loving kindness and ongoing blessing that get taken for granted because they have always been there for us. Every generation has this variation of manna. But why manna? God said that it was to teach and to test. It was to teach them that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of God. So manna could not be collected on man's own recognizance. Manna was only made available per God's promise, on God's schedule, and in the quantities that God said that they could collect it. And when they collected, the, if they collected too much, it would rot. If they collected too little, they went hungry. If they followed God's words perfectly, even their tangible, their tangible provision worked out for them. So he proved to them that you can't even live by manna alone, but every word that proceeds from my mouth, or you'll always come up short. There's manna today. There's manna. <laughs> Paul said this in uh, Acts uh, chapter 17, you have to know this one either, uh, just pick, uh, go to it in your Bible. Paul said this in Acts chapter 17, verses 27 through 28, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Fish don't know that they're out of water until they get out of water. You understand? It, it is not until the Lord kind of peels back, peels back these layers of, of grace and promise that we come to discover just how needy we are. Jeremiah uh, put it this way in Lamentations chapter 3. He says, listen to this now. I want you to listen to manna in light of this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Manna never ceased. When they, got to, when they got to the promised land, they didn't need manna anymore. They were in a land of milk and honey, but manna never ceased. Listen to this. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? They are new every morning. <laughs> Listen to this. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. They weren't just eating manna. They were eating the portion, the exact portion that was perfect for each one of their families. And so, 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 so the Bible is letting us know that, that, therefore, we hope in him. Our portion and our hope must be in him. He is not just giving mercy. He is our mercy. He is, he, he is the source of the steadfast love and the great mercy and the hope that we have in this life. Every blessing, let me say this, every blessing is intended to teach us both who he is and not just what he does. James in the New Testament put it this way when he said every good and perfect gift comes from, the, comes from above. Some versions of the Bible say comes down from the Father of lights. And he says, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, the Bible is built every single blessing that we experience today, every single blessing, every good one, every good blessing comes down from the Father of lights and it says something about not only what he does but also who he is. And we eat that daily. And it's supposed to remind us of the goodness and the mercy of God and how he is indeed our portion. But guess what, y'all? Unless we respect the past performance of God, we'll always ask for a new performance. The great cultural question today is if God really wanted us to believe, he would show himself. And God is saying, 
it is in me that you live and move and have your being. I'm sure you live in the theater of my person and my provision for you. I'm showing myself to you every single day. The fact that you opened your eyes and drew breath is yet another manifestation that I'm here, even if you don't like me. And so we're doomed to a life of refills unless he fills. We will always demand God to put on a new performance until we understand his past performance. But there's something else that happens right here as we kind of get home in uh, verses 52 or 53 through 59. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And as the Father, the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that you're fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as they taught. You can imagine people were hot. How can this man invite us to eat him? And here's the point that I want to make on very simply. We need to fully digest Jesus's work to fully understand the father's plan. We need to fully digest Jesus's work in order to fully understand the father's plan. What do I mean by digest? Do exactly what Jesus says. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. You, you should be triggered by now, but you should also be intrigued. How can we do that? How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? Here's what he's saying. You must appropriate what it means for my body to be given and my blood to be given for you. You need to take that in, not just peer at it like a picture on a wall of a museum. You need to come close to it and appropriate that, right? You need to digest that. You need to soberly consider that. You need to take that in and make it a part of who you are, not just a part of what you know. It's this, you see, the body and blood of Jesus is this. It is the Father's way of saying, I am coming to you. Again, the God clothes himself in the body and comes to us to see about his people. He comes in the form of Christ to communicate his ways, to show us how we live, to convey his love as he dies on the cross, to confront his enemies as he pulls down principalities and powers uh, in the resurrection, to convict the sinners through the great messages, right? This is what the body of Christ is all about, uh, to bear their consequences. He did that in his actual body, to convert those that would trust in him, to commune with us. He sat down with sinners and people that didn't deserve his presence. That's what God did in the body? How can the holy God bridge the, the, the infinite gap of between heaven and earth to put on a body? So the body, we got we to gotta digest this. He, he conferred status on them. Through his body, he gives us a status. Amen. Through his body, he gives us a status, not our own. Through his body, we get, a, we get this visible portrait that we look at, and the Bible says we are then conformed to the image of his son. We're made to look like him. And then through his body, he also comforts those. He comforts us in his body until we meet him again. He comforts us through this body. This is the meaning of the body, unless you ingest, unless you digest his body. Then you can only understand the Father's full plan. It is in the body and in the blood of Christ that he crafts an unbreakable covenant, inked in, a, in, a, in a, the ink of Jesus' blood, the cleansing of sin, and then calls us all to say, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Listen, we are all eating and drinking something. The question is, is that something life-giving? 
It is the Father's plan to invite all of us into uninterrupted fellowship where we know him just as fully as we are known. One final piece on this, and then I'm going to get out of your way. In ancient Near Eastern culture, um, you know, it wasn't like going down the subway when we say um, we're going to sit down and, and have bread. Bread was this unleavened pita. I want you to understand something about Peter. Again, bread, as Jesus said. So, so Jesus' first audience, when they heard him say, I'm the bread of life, they weren't thinking about, like, being down at Panera, what it's like, do you want the bread, or do you want to place that with chips, or you want to place that with an apple? Well, you know, all of us would be like, no, 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 I won't have any bread. No, no, no. In the ancient Near Eastern culture, there were no utensils, and bread was the main item. You see, bread in the ancient Near East was this demonstration that if we broke bread together, that was symbolic of us fellowshipping. You see, in the body of Christ, he is the bread of life. So this Peter, this bread has been broken as an invite into fellowship with him. But not only has the bread been broken, if you understand anything about eating Middle Eastern food because you don't have any utensils, you got to take the same broken bread and then gather up in the, in the plate everything else that is essential. So Jesus is saying, the Father is saying, the gospel echo of Jesus being the bread of life is this. This is bread that has been broken as an invite into fellowship. But this is bread that has been broken not only with you, but it's been broken for you. Because everything that I have to offer is wrapped up in him. This is the gospel echo of, of, of the bread of life. Everything, the best of what I have to offer is wrapped up in Christ. And you can't even bring it to your mouth unless we break bread together. And so Jesus is the bread of life. Way better than the miracle feeding of the 5,000. Way better than any manna given out uh, uh, in the wilderness. He is the actual bread, and without him, we can appropriate nothing that God has proposed or promised to his people. The broken bread is an invite to fellowship. The broken bread is an invite to experience and ingest all that God has to offer. Book of Romans would say these words. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God isn't just interested in converting us. He also wants to conform us to the image of his son. But he isn't just interested in conversion and conformity. Man, he wants there to be ongoing, eternal communion, whereby... We live as a result of him living in us and him and we living in him. We need the gospel. We need the gospel, not because it's a clever slogan that neatly packages the work of Jesus on the cross. We need the gospel because it is the only way that we can appropriate or, or we can respond to the invite to fellowship and appropriate all that the Father has wrapped up in the Son for us because he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we'll always need a refill until he feels Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful to you this morning for all that you would say and do through your word. Thank you for um, um, just the work of Jesus on the cross. I thank you, Lord God, for a fresh appreciation of what you did and why you call yourself the bread of life. Our Lord God, I'll admit that even I, prior to this message, took some aspects of what it meant for you to be the bread of life for granted. But thank you, Lord, for even opening my eyes to fresh appreciation in the text. I, I pray, oh God, that we've not just grown, that we've not just grown smarter or more heady 
or more equipped with better cliches and more robust explanations of the gospel. But I pray, oh God, that something of our lives is echoing with new appreciation for what it means for you to satisfy our deepest hungers, oh God. All of my hungers, Lord God, can only be satisfied in you. Every bread that I have in this life will never measure up to the bread of life. It's just an appetizer. So Lord God, would you, through times of worship, through fellowship, through the feasting on your word, through the fellowship of your spirit, would you allow us, the Lord God, to be filled with you so that we would know the fullness of your son and truly know him as the bread of life? This we pray in the matchless and holy name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.